This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Currently, I have a welder fabricating a piece for my ancient raft, a carpenter building a deck for my 1980s skiff, and I'm on the hunt for a used drift boat to replace my 20-year-old vessel before she sinks to the depths of the black. As we all know, BOAT is an acronym for bust out another thousand, and this time of year is a scramble to get our used fleets together for the brunt of fishing season. My guest today is kind of like me. He's a budget boat guy. Um, and this is Clint Whitley from the Western Hunting Hub podcast, who was gracious enough to have us on his show. So uh, we're returning the favor and we're looking forward to chatting with you. Clint, welcome to the February Room. Awesome. Glad to be here. Glad chatting with you. And, and again, just like we were saying before, it's fun to connect with like-minded people and, and learn from others and, and uh, 
just have a good conversation we're blessed to be able to talk fishing and hunting so why not do it over a way we can share and and we all enjoy yeah absolutely man um yeah you had me on your hunting podcast so i thought we'd we'd invite you over to our fishing podcast and you are a uh, uh uh you've been playing around with paddlefish and um and that's a really interesting species that we have here in montana um they're all you know also known as a spoonbill they're in the same family as a sturgeon and uh, as the name suggests they have a long snout or paddle um and uh they're found throughout the uh, throughout the mississippi river system uh from the gulf of mexico to the missouri and yellowstone basins uh, up here in montana and then over by you in the dakotas um and they are uh, prized for their eggs and their fillets and i have never caught one um uh but lauren has and uh she talks about that often so i would love to hear a paddle fishing story clint you bet so one one thing that kind of intrigued me is just the how ancient of an animal they are i mean these things have been around a long time like there's another distant relative i think over in china looks similar but they don't look like anything else in the water they are a true when you think of the discovery show river monsters or whatever that is that it's a river monster it's huge it's big um they they don't feed the same way uh, any other fish does their filter feeders it's got a big gaping mouth with a big gill flap on it that that big spoon bill on the front is has got all kinds of weird sending vibes through the water to find the where the food is and and uh yeah that's my good you know i swear i do got a biology degree but i can't describe that anymore so the uh um well no that's that's plenty man yeah (laughs) yeah no the the experience i've had with them is on the missouri river in south dakota and a lot of the times you see that happening mainly kind of further south along the river but we do have those opportunities in kind of on the missouri uh, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota. So I was fortunate enough to draw one of the first tags of a new season here in South Dakota. That was probably uh, 10 years ago. And and there was some big fish in there. There's state records in there. that the, the state record was about to be broken in that season. And, it, and I think it keeps getting broke every year or so since then so i think the record state record's like 133 pounds so we're talking some big fish and i ended up with a 69 pound paddlefish and that was like setting the hook on a rock and, and i always think that a rock that starts to pull nice. you, you feel like you set and you know when you you pull up and you're like oh that thing's not moving be big fish or snag and that thing just starts pulling back so i had taken a little hiatus from south dakota i was in colorado for for eight nine years and so i wasn't i was eligible to come back and do some paddle fishing but it just wasn't the same i could only do like on the nebraska border and it just wasn't a tag worth driving for i didn't want to do it it didn't yeah it, it wasn't the deal and i am talking tags because it is a lottery system in south dakota so been back in south dakota now two years in this first year since i had a preference point i was able to draw the tag in kind of one of the more popular areas to to fish for paddlefish so i went and uh took that little four-hour drive over to, to yankton south dakota where paddle fishing happening happens and i even think uh there was a meteor episode of not not Renella on there but uh one of the other guys in the boat fishing in that exact same spot 
exact same season I was fishing. So you can check that out, I'm sure, and see what that all looks like. Or Google Yankton, South Dakota paddle fishing. You can see rows of people there fishing with their big, long rods. And I hadn't done it in years, but I had remembered, okay, I got my... I need some three to five, maybe six ounce weights. Depends on what the flow is coming out of the dam. And we're fishing right below the dam there. And the goal is to kind of get up as close to the dam as possible. So I got there before sunrise and there's a season when that kicks off opening day uh, at a certain time. And even every day you can't fish, I think it's right at sunrise and you got to stop at sunset. So I was there at uh, before dark and was drinking my coffee, found a spot on the rocks, so this will work. Um, kind of got everything all rigged up and I was, I was already pretty pretty ready. I've got a, had a pretty big rod, I think it was like, but not long. It's one of them big catfishing rods, probably eight foot long or so. And I figured that would work and I had another one that was just touched longer, it'd be a backup. And as soon as that, uh, that time opened up, it's kind of cool because it was still dark out, but legal fishing time. All you hear is these reels going out, and a and not a not a splash, but when a five six ounce weight hits the water, it's a it's like throwing a rock, and it gains that extra velocity and then sucks down in that water. And you hear that just up and down the the banks. So. <laughs> Then it was snagging time. So we, we have a, that big weight, and we've got a, a two-aught hook on there, treble hook. That's as big as we can go in South Dakota. And and the hook's just anywhere from a foot to three foot above the weight. That's a, that's a whole thing on technique on how you want to do it. And you just start ripping. Uh, if you want an oblique workout, that is it. You just stand to the side and rip and rip and rip. And you go to your sore. And I figured that day, I casted, I fished from opening till I had to end at five o'clock. I did not stop at all. It, there was, except for one little break to run and get a new rod, which I had to. Um, but I just kept going and going and going. I figured if I don't have a hook in the line, I'm not catching a fish at all. So I cast that thing out and out and out. The uh, my side was getting raw from the fishing pole, so a lot of guys will wrap a towel and some duct tape around the the base. There's a little tip that might you might consider because your your side will get raw, even though it was cold out and I had a jacket on. Your side will get raw, and so the as that rod is so long, you know it sticks on your hip, and you need to counter a, a little counter lever with it to, as you're doing your big draw to to snag, and just kept going and going i watched people sit down and take breaks like not gonna happen i ate my lunch standing up but as that line was getting out there and just kept ripping and nothing 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 i think i had a hit here and there a bunch of frustrating snags and you lose tackle like crazy you got to bring a boatload of tackle and broke one rod that was a cheaper one uh finally said screw it i'm watching the other people with these 10 foot poles i was like screw it i'm going to the bait shop I'm going to go buy a new rod. Uh, went to the bait shop. Didn't even care what it costs, but this big surf rod, 10 foot long, <laughs> it's it's huge. They are huge. And put my reel on it. First cast, fish. And, and it, after that, I think I could. No have, way. Yes, yes. I'm not kidding you. Uh, I'm not kidding you. It was 9, 10 fish within two hours after that and it was just because no of the, the length of rod 
and the and the the setup. And I, I guess my first rods probably wasn't eight foot. It was probably only like six and a half. But the difference in a snagging rod that works versus didn't work, one was longer. So you get that giant draw of that line zipping through the water for quite a bit longer. Before, I was probably just dragging it over them. It didn't have enough velocity to hook into them. Uh, it just didn't work. So I didn't find that out till halfway through the day. And uh, I figured it's, oh, how many did I? I figured I did like 800 casts in that day. Something like that, six or 800 casts. I, I calculated how long it took me to do a cast, reel in, and it was just nonstop. So first fish hooked up into a couple uh, decent ones. The only issue I have with the whole deal is just that those fish get hooked over and over again, and sometimes it's kind of a bummer to see them get kind of tore up because you're looking for one that's over a slot limit or under a slot limit. And the ones under a slot limit are just gotcha. like, yeah, that'll eat. It'll be it'll be fine. But some are really small, and you feel bad taking them. And the ones in the slot are like the perfect size to take, but you can't keep them. And then the ones above are kind of hard to come by. So, and you got people out in the boat that are pulling them in left and right. So it was a great day. Caught caught a bunch. Um, I think that's how you kind of seen my first uh, or my my pick posts on Instagram of some of those, those paddlefish and, uh, took a picture with a couple, caught one really nice one, about half an inch underneath the slot, but awesome day, really sore <laughs> afterwards. Um, but yeah. an absolute riot. Those fish just, it's seriously like setting a hook on a, a rock that bites back. And it's, it is probably one of my favorite types of fishing. I know this is a, you got a lot of fly fishing, in your podcast there but man battle fishing is where it's at <laughs> it's got its own little following well <clears throat> and uh it's a great way to mix up a whole different kind of fishing experience if if you don't if you don't have the money to go do deep sea fishing or you don't you just can't do it very often and that's the way to go it's it's like a it's, it, since we're in the middle of the country right here in south dakota it's, it gives you that big fish opportunity so it's 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 a good time well, there's a group of uh, fly fishing guides here that I know that go over and do that. They've been going, o- going over and doing that the last few years. And I haven't got the invite to go yet, but I really want to go. And um, our uh, our rod sponsor, um, CD, uh, actually, we they, they make and we now carry a surf rod that would be perfect for that. You can change the length of it from 8, 10, or 12 feet. And, um, it's a big beastly, big beastly surf rod. So I'm going to go do it. Um, as I mentioned, Lauren got one in, um, the state of Missouri several years ago and she still raves about it. And, um, you know, they cooked it up and ate the caviar and everything. And, um, I've never eaten it. Have you had a chance to try it, even though you didn't get to keep one because you, you were outside the slot limit? Yeah, I've only kept one, and it was that 69-pounder. Um, and at the time, I was working in Game Fish Park's office, so I took it into our, our – I asked for my bio, one of the biologists. He didn't really work with some of the fish, but I was like, how old is this fish? It's like it's 50-plus years old. <laughs> it's like it's an old wow. fish. So you're thinking about – I was thinking about that when I was eating it. It's been a while since I had it. Um, my culinary wild game culinary skills have improved quite a bit since then. So I, I want to give it another shot. The caviar, I did keep it that there was, I took 
one one gallon bag uh probably could have filled up another one or two there's so many eggs but i got it home and i didn't know what i was doing with that so the whole separating of everything that's connected to it i didn't know how to do that uh definitely want to be prepared next time to see if in, in our spring season once i draw that tag uh to be able to figure out how how you do that because i from what i understand that stuff's more valuable than the the sturgeon caviar so yeah i want to give it another shot it's i remember it not being too bad if i remember correctly it was i was kind of connecting it to like a, a swordfish fillet or a steak something kind of similar right yeah lauren um did that for a, a tv show called dead meat and they um they cooked it up and that's with a, a chef um um <clears throat> named scott from california and um yeah he prepared it all up and that episode's probably out there too you could find that one um it, w- it was pretty cool but um so is the spring season is that when the spawning run is for those fish i believe so yeah because they got they still are in the fall man i, I don't want to get too far into the biology because i'm gonna get it wrong but in the fall there they are still congregating at the the dam there and as there's another example of you know issues with dams and you see that in the pacific northwest there with the salmon but they uh they've got so many issues there with the dams it just blocks it and that's where they congregate um but we've got one spring season in one location and that's when that is and then a um fall season in october is where that in yankton so you got to go a little further north on the river to hit that spring season why that is why the Department is determined to spring and one fall. I don't really, yeah, I don't really know. I just go and catch them. Okay. I, I wonder, I'd be interested. There's not a, I, I got this Fishes of Montana app and, um, and I did some snooping around here before our conversation to try to kind of better educate myself. And I couldn't find a lot of information on, you know, where they're running up from. Are they coming all the way from, um, you know, the, the Midwest um, up the Mississippi system, or are these kind of like more resident fish that, uh, that move up um, during the spawn just in their own states or, or what? So I'd be interested to talk to a paddlefish biologist and learn more about it. Yeah, because it gets totally different once you get to Yankton, because then you got four dams in South Dakota, and then isn't there a total of seven dams on the Missouri? Um, once you get up to, to you guys, something like that where that's going to change everything you got all those those dams in there maybe there's four total oh man this was fifth grade fifth grade geography <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> yeah no we're not gonna we're not gonna hold your feet to the fire there <laughs> i wonder i would wonder the same thing like what's there if anybody's done like distrib- distribution studies you know that's what they it's called in wildlife but uh, what the migration is on those that'd be interesting yeah, it sure would. Um, so switching gears here, um, you mentioned uh, that you're kind of a budget boat guy, um, as I am too. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm prepping a, a new-to-me skiff right now to set up for primarily for targeting pike. Um, tell me about your boat and what you use it for. So I've kind of always had a a boat just like hanging out at my house and when i was in colorado somebody said here you can have this and uh if you store it and you kind of make it work 
okay, that was great. So for, I don't know, five, six years, I had a little 14-foot aluminum boat, uh, Johnson motor that was from uh, 1970s some, and didn't really do a whole lot with it other than get the motors running and go cruising around some of the small lakes of western Colorado to, to try and catch some walleye and whatever, whatever was there. So getting back to South Dakota, I had the opportunity to pick up like a $500 16 foot v-hull aluminum boat i just call it a boat because i don't even know what's on the side of it i don't remember because <laughs> it doesn't matter i don't really care <laughs> it it floats right. and and it has a boat motor that's just a little older than me so it's got a 1983 uh, mercury 25 horse motor on it so buddy buddy offered it to me for 500 bucks like why the heck not i gotta leave this one in colorado uh i'm gonna take this one this this be something great i got a four-year-old and i've got a one month old so my hunting time is going to be a little more difficult my shed hunting in the spring is going to be a little more difficult i didn't buy a turkey tag this season i gotta find a way to to kind of engage my kids in the outdoors a little bit more and Fishing from a boat is probably one of those ways it's going to be a, a good avenue to do that. So that's my my focus. I, I've, I've always just kind of had them. Uh, I'd be careful with the term boat guy. <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge, huge boat guy. I'm not driving around in a $50,000 Lund or, um, but I, but I am a budget boat guy. I'm a budget, whatever. I don't like paying full price for anything. And the, so this opportunity <laughs> kind of pops up and so I grabbed it and it, in the process of moving and and uh, buying a house and getting into a house, just in the last two months, I finally said, "All right, this is my goal. This is my winter project, my my late winter, early spring project. Get this thing ready for for ice out." And uh, um, yeah, got it out. It was for the first time hadn't even seen if this motor ran, but I figured the boat's worth five hundred bucks either way. So got it. Got it. Kind of figured out and uh had a maiden voyage the other day it was a complete disaster <laughs> complete disaster um so it, it, yeah the kind of the first things i was looking at if you want me to get into that is is uh yeah for sure i figured the motor i was like okay this is the biggest expense in the whole thing i got a 25 horse motor uh i am not a grease monkey by any mind i do my oil in my vehicles i do I really try to not dive into an engine, but I can do I can do a little bit more than average. Let's say the small motor stuff, I kind of enjoy. It's, it's kind of a challenge, but I like it to be simple. Uh, and these old motors are they're super heavy. The they're pretty simple for the main part, most part, and they're they're workhorses. They've been around since the '70s and '80s, and they still are working and on a lot of small guys guys' watercraft. So. Uh, they're, they're bomb proof they can handle a little dirty fuel going through them it can handle a couple of seasons or many seasons without being winterized and uh doesn't make them last any longer but but they will run for you so i figured all right this motor i gotta figure out is is this thing gonna work or not and that's gonna determine is this gonna this boat gonna be a thing so hooked up my uh my tank um i, I tried the old water muffs on the motor and it's like i don't even know i've never used these before i don't know if this is really getting water into it to make sure it's staying cool so i did the whole 55 gallon drum with water in it it's always a good route to go i had that anyway so i uh hooked that up and like second pull the thing started up and started running it's like oh this is sweet this thing's gonna work 
Um, nice. I had no idea where the kill switch was. I was looking on where's the kill switch? Where's the kill switch? And I knew it was on the end of the 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 throttle handle there, but it uh, it wasn't obvious and it was barely even a button. So I ended up flooding it a couple of times just to shut it off because I was like, I, I don't what the heck? Why can't I shut this thing off? So again, I told you I'm not a grease monkey, but I can figure things out eventually. And uh, so that thing started going. I went and looked at a couple of my my big things. All right, spark plugs, spark plugs. I went and swapped those out for three fifty a piece. Why not get rid of those? Uh, put new ones in, so it's going to be be firing good. Pulled off the carburetor. This is not always like the easiest, but it's not that big of a deal. Uh, a couple of screws or bolts. Pull out the carburetor. And I just take some brake cleaner or carburetor cleaner. It's basically the same thing. And just hose it down in that stuff. Get everything loosened up. Make sure it's clean. Uh, old fuel out of it. Make sure the, the float in the carburetor is actually floating and not sticking. Because uh, that will get you. If there's any, I can't ever identify where the little jets are or anything. But it just shove some more more brake cleaner, the better. Just carb cleaner, just hit it hard. So that's what I did. Put it all back together. Uh, then kind of noticed as I, as I started up, it's like, oh, it's not spitting water like it should. All right. Let's, I found out one of the big things is that impeller, the, the water pump that's down in the lower unit. So that was easy. Kind of pulled off the, through YouTube, watched a couple of videos, could never find. And I think that's one of the problems. Could never find the exact same guy doing a video with the same motor. So everything was kind of the same, but not, not really. There was a couple little little right. things that were, were goofier, and I think that's what you run into a lot of the time. But it was all really the same sort of thing. Even on the new motors, I got that impeller in there that's a, pretty easy. So I pulled off that bottom unit. It's four bolts. Pulled that off, and out come a piece of copper pipe that pumps water. There's a uh, the shaft and then the shifter. Like, okay, we pulled that out, put it in my vent, bench vise, and decide why not i'll just uh, i'll pull i'll order a new impeller for the thing that was just four screws where that little impeller is that that shoots the water up to the engine to cool it off and replace that had a little issue with the shifter because that thing was just pressure uh, stuck in there with pressure it popped up and i had a whole thing with a talking with a boat mechanic in town and chatting with him. It's like, Hey, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix this. The shifter popped out and he didn't, he was looking at really kind guy looking at uh, a part diagrams online, trying to walk me through it. And he's like, man, I don't know why that won't go down in there. 10 minutes later, I just pounded on a little bit and down it went. So there's a lot of little, little issues that you can run into along the way. I'm always nervous about taking things apart. Cause I'm going to figure I'm going to screw this up, not be able to put it back together. So I was taking a couple of pictures along the way, had those YouTube videos to reference to see what their motor looked like in case I forgot to take a certain picture. That would be huge. <laughs> I would recommend people do is take pictures, even with your vehicles, you're taking something apart. You forget about which bolt size goes where, and, and then you're going to end up in trouble trying to find a, a certain bolt for a certain thing that, that is not possible. So yeah, I got that all, all put back together. Uh, the, I'm glad I replaced that impeller. Now I hooked it back up with spit and water perfectly. Uh, figured, all right, good to go. Uh, a couple legal things I took care of after that were make sure I had fire extinguisher, sound device of some sort. I uh, didn't worry about lights yet because I'm not going out at dark. 
Uh, let's see, got my throwable, my PFD or two. Got a new one for the kid so that it fits the four-year-old. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the 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 basics. I had, oh, a mo- or a battery. I threw a battery in, and I had a uh, trolling motor that someone had given me. Uh, it's pretty nice, Minn Kota, uh, pretty good size one that they had given it to me and it was i found the paperwork of 2005 is when that was bought and i chatted with my buddy and said yeah dad never used that (laughs) never used it it's brand new um so i threw on a a little piece of wood on the on the front there to to be able to mount the the uh mount the trolling motor on glad i did that for uh the disastrous trip out that i had uh put that on Ran the ran the the controller back to the back. Uh, seats were in. I took out the other thing I had done to this boat is I had stripped out all the old flooring. It was like all framed in there, rotting, falling apart. It's beer cans underneath. There's all kinds of stuff throughout this boat from the, the previous owner. So just a bunch old of old oldie cans yeah. from 1970. Yeah, it was a mess. Took Full out, tabs. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, Took the old ropes off of there. So I already have, let's see, 500 bucks into the boat. I went and bought a new battery. That was a big one, like 120 bucks. I didn't, I just bought a Walmart battery. I didn't care. I'm not buying anything too, too big. Um, couple of ropes for the anchor, uh, which was also, I'm really glad I did that for, for another reason. Um, a uh, rope, a dock rope, and, and then. Yeah, that was about it. Just just a couple little things. So I'm probably into this whole thing uh, with those boat parts and everything. Seven hundred bucks, let's just say. Um, figured that would be, that would be a good place to start. I was watching all these videos. I wanted to uh, all these videos of people doing boat renovations and putting in painting the outside, painting the inside. It's like oh, I'd love to do that, but you know how expensive marine paint is on the outside and the prep work for that. Not gonna happen uh the i want to do the right. inside i want to put in a floor in the thing it's just i'm going to do that all that eventually but i got to figure out if this thing's going to even work first let's just get it on the water and i'm going to be kind of prideful in the the budget i spend on this i'm going to have a, a nice cheap boat i could easily drop like you said thousands of bucks into it and make it a sweet rig i could throw a life well in or a, uh yeah live well in there i could put a all kinds of electronics on it and and do all kinds of cool stuff, but I'm going to keep it kind of budget friendly. Um, oh, I did the trailer lights. I had to do that as well. Make sure I was legal there. And I went for the full $50, whatever, $55 submersible ones. So I said, screw it. I'm going to get the good ones submersible. Um, I'm sure I'm going to hit it on a dock one day and bust that whole light anyway. So I'm going to replace it, but the, uh, they're at least submersible to start with. And we'll go with that. Well, it sounds like you're um, <clears throat> you're undertaking the a very similar project to the one I'm on, uh, the the one I'm working on. So I got this 14 foot um, smoker craft from 1981, which I discovered when I went and titled it. Um, and this boat was gifted to me um, by a buddy of mine that just didn't use it and didn't have room for it. And it's got he has a trolling motor for it and um an old uh mercury 110 9.8 horsepower which is perfect for what i want because we have some um motor power restrictions and stuff around here on some of the rivers um 
And uh, the the motor I took in, uh, I, unlike you, I can tell already you're way more, even though you claim you're not a grease monkey, you, you know a lot more than I do. I'm in that below average category when it comes to that. Um, so I just went and took the motor in and uh, and then my buddy is upfitting it with that uh, casting fishing deck that you mentioned and a lean bar. And then we, and then he runs um, that closed cell foam that you can buy um, for the floor and then for the casting deck so you have better footing. Um, and that stuff's cheap. Um, so yeah, we're gonna line it out with that and um, hopefully it's good to go. Um, you touched on something that, uh, that, that reminded me of a mistake that I made with another motor that I have. Um, when you put it in that 50 gallon bucket <clears throat> to, to test it at your house full of water, the first time I did that, I didn't have a 50 gallon bucket, so I just used what I had. And um, I didn't get it, I didn't get enough of the shaft submerged, and I actually burned out the, the impeller, burned out the water pump. Um, and so that, but that was like my first attempt at, uh, at, a, at a, you know, outboard ownership. I've always been the guy that like will just tag along with my buddies that had boats because I didn't want to mess with them. I'm like, hey, I'll row all day. I'll swap you out. I'll take you on a, on a river row trip and uh, in exchange for, for going out on your boat. Um, so, um, yeah, that's a good point that you made there. Um, and make sure that that shaft is is submerged enough so you don't uh, you don't burn out your water pump right out of the gate. Yeah, and one little trick I found again, thanks YouTube, was a uh, I did a just threw a little lithium grease in the in the pump there. So like when there's no water in there initially, and it's got to fire up, you don't ruin the little impeller right off the gate it's got a little bit of grease to be able to get going and, and not not wear down and create some bad marks so yeah that was kind of a, a cool little little thing to figure out i'm kind of proud of myself this is one of those that makes you kind of <laughs> glad you figured it out and yeah nice job yeah because there's plenty of other projects where i started did it and it cost me double what i just could have had someone else do it for so i've learned my lesson elsewhere well, my buddies and I were just talking about this yesterday. Um, one of them is that we were fishing with. One of them's from Butte, and um, and there's really we don't have a lot of options in Missoula as far as mechanics for small motors. Um, there's just not a lot of shops around that have a very great reputation, um, and you know they're or they're really backed up, and you got to wait a year to get your motor back, and you know finding those those just kind of, you know, small one man operation kind of do it all kind of types that can fix that stuff for you is key. And there's, there's a, a, apparently a bunch of those in Butte, but, um, you know, I, I did meet one guy here, um, that I was able to take my motor to who did a good job on it. Um, and then I, you know, hit him up for another project and he was like, oh, I'm too busy, man. I just do this on the side. So, um, if you can't do it yourself, do it yourself like you you're way better off finding somebody that uh that knows what they're doing and you know maybe bartering with them or something um to save yourself some money rather than you know taking it to a dealer um where you're going to pay a lot of money and wait around um to get your your 
cheap old motor back, your Johnson that's been running for 40 years. Yeah, and, and the Sage ain't done for me yet either. I think I got it figured out, but then there's the whole disaster of its maiden voyage. So I, I went out, yeah. and there's yeah. I got uh, Pactola Reservoir, which is in the Black Hills of South Dakota. It's, it's 15, 10 minutes, 15 minutes from my house. Really quick trip. So I think that's perfect. Um, Going to take the kid kind of give my wife a break from the other her the one month old well not from the one month old but get a break for for a bit there uh say well i take the dog with why not she she's been a good dog might as well just she'll sit up in front or wherever so we uh we back the the boat down and to the because there's no dock in yet it's a little early the docks aren't in so but back that down in uh, parking area is a little higher up, so you got to drive back up a road and park your vehicle, and then they got a nice little trail to walk back down to where where you park your boat. Um, so I did that walk back down. It's full of water. It's like, oh, frick, I forgot the plug. <laughs> this is the most rookie mistake ever. Stupid plug is floating around in there. So I'm now <laughs> I'm now in the boat, and as you're putting weight in the boat, now the water's coming in quicker, and rooting around in the back was like i know this i left a plug right in here somewhere it's right next to where to plug it in but with six inches of water now it's floating around all over the place tackle boxes are getting full of water um life jackets our sweatshirts that i needed for the evening for the kid keep them warm and myself uh are wet our snacks wet um it's all wet <laughs> everything's floating around there find the plug shove it in there okay all right, Ty, we got to go get the truck again. He's so excited, and now he's bummed why we got to go get the truck and load it up again. Go get the truck, load load the boat back up. My wheels on the, and tires on the trailer are pushing it. I need to buy new tires, so I'm not ending up in a bigger issue, and that's probably a safety issue there too because uh, they just got them itty be little tires. If I blow one of those, it could, could be a bad deal. So... I, with all the weight of that that water i saw those little tires cracking and I was like oh gosh i'm gonna blow a tire here too um and uh get that water drained slowly i couldn't believe how long that take took to drain there's so much water in there got it drained uh got things kind of picked back up it's like all right we're gonna give this another go and we had to wait our turn again because there's a few other boats around so i'm looking like an idiot trying to <laughs> not make the biggest rookie mistake there is at least forgetting your plug and uh back it down in there put it in again leave the and i'm glad i had the anchor because there's no boat uh boat dock to to hook to so threw the anchor out on shore and it's just kind of floating there and we walked back down from the the uh where the parking area get in and starts right up off i go it's cruising it sounds really good like okay ty we're gonna we're gonna open this thing up see what it can do and no, no idea how fast that would go boat cruises just beautifully uh engine was running just so beautifully it sounded good it started up good and it's like oh now we're gonna he really wanted to catch a fish so of course i had to throw in the fishing poles and get to a back little bay not too far from the docks like i get back in my mind it's like i gotta stay kind of close just in case gotta stay close uh and get back on that bay and shut the shut the big motor off kind of quick and i think that was my issue put the trolling motor down and cruise back into a bay and it's like oh jesus bay just keeps going let's buzz up there with the big motor quick see if we can't find any of these panfish and didn't start 
It didn't start. It didn't start. It's like, oh, I think I flooded it when I shut it off. Even though I hit the kill switch, it still may have flooded. And that boat motor, I gotta. There's another thing I gotta learn on it is when it's flooded. Is there a way to drain that out without having to wait? Or I I can't figure it out. And we just had a bunch of snow and cold weather, so I haven't even figured it out since then. <laughs> so it, we uh, ended up turning around with the uh, trolling motor, and I cruised the whole way back with a little trolling motor and figured <laughs> figured I better just get closer and closer i got a four-year-old a dog and there's kind of some wind high winds and a storm coming so i figured i better better not be an idiot and and cut the fishing trip short it's getting dark uh all the things that probably could have gone wrong but ended up being able to get back to the truck and he was all upset because he wanted to catch a fish and we didn't catch a fish and and i'm trying to dock the boat and i'm doing all that myself and (laughs) so it was a bit of a disaster but I always say over and over again that some of your greatest, fondest memories are your time in misery. And it's the worst. It's the weather's the worst. Um, I, there was a time my wife and I think two of us went into the, one of those other little 14-foot boats onto a very popular lake on July 4th. It was the dumbest thing ever. We are going fishing on July 4th on a very popular boating lake where there's boats cruising around all over the place. And we could have we we could have got killed that day. There was so many so many boats cruising around, and dumb me in college thinking, yeah, let's go fishing on Lake Madison. Well, awesome, man. Well, well, good luck with the project, um, and uh, I'll I'll let you know um, when I have my first gaff here when I get my new boat out because you know it's just bound to happen. You're gonna have issues. I've never been on any boat, no matter the cost of it that didn't have some issues at one point or another. Yeah. And I keep, I'm keeping in mind the, the, the purpose of having this boat. That's what's helping me run my budget. Sure. I could dig a little deeper and go put, put some money into it here and there, but I don't want to, I like, I want to just keep this as a, uh, every, not a money dump. <laughs> I want to, I really want to keep that purpose of this is out to, get my kid outside and for the next 10 years maybe we upgrade by then but just to to get us out to to enjoy the outdoors and and that's where where i really started uh i i primarily hunt now i don't fish near as much but where i started is fishing on the missouri river with my my grandpa my dad I remember the two-hour drive, looking back at the boat and seeing the the trolling motor power cable that runs down the curly power cable um, that runs down from the top motor, and that and that sounds weird, but that image of that wire bouncing up and down in the on the boat as we're cruising <laughs> to the lake is associated with all kinds of excitement and uh, all this all these fishing memories that image so as i was looking at my rearview mirror the other day seeing that that little wire bounce just it was a little nostalgic uh to be able to see that it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna create that same similar memory he's not gonna associate the wire to that but he's gonna associate this this boat and things to to dad taking me out fishing and and catching our catching our fish so that's kind of where i had started is on those on the missouri river uh also little little lakes throughout eastern south dakota catching 
catching perch and things and and there's some of those little memories there that i gotta i gotta work hard to pass on to my kids because he's four now so you you start to remember things and he's gonna it, it he's past the yep. he's he's guy so impressionable it scares the crap out of me because he'll he'll pick up things that are just unreal <laughs> pick on things oh yeah they don't they don't miss a thing man they don't miss a thing and uh yeah i'm i can't wait to get my kids out on our boat it's going to be really fun up for the area lakes too for you know the white fishing thing and lake trout and pike and bass and oh it's going to be so much fun you know taking trying to take them in the drift boat and uh and go have success on these trout rivers it's just not that's not a kid-friendly event right thank you so much for joining us um the podcast is called the western hunting hub podcast it's on the uh, waypoint podcast network and you can follow clint and the podcast at uh, western hunting hub on instagram correct yep that's correct i like to just provide an educational platform a learning platform uh, similar to yours just check talk about hunting uh and, and there's a lot of a lot of good things happening there go to the february where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests their fishing stories and favorite fly patterns we're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns and if you have one to spin shoot us an email at info at the The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week. <laughs>